Welcome to the Shelf Warmers podcast, the show about toys, why we like them, our connections to the figures, and their relevance to bigger topics. I'm Sugu, your co-host, and today we're going to talk about Shang-Chi, as well as revisit the timeless and never-ending debate about completionism and meaningful collections. And I'm your co-host, Darby, and we will be talking spoilers, folks, so if you haven't seen Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings yet, duck out. Or if you just want to get the movie wrecked, join us as we get into all this detail and spoilers and theories. Good luck. Good luck. Before we begin, by way of introduction, I'm Darby Harn, the author of the novels Ever the Hero and A Country of Eternal Light. I'm a senior writer for Screen Rant and a contributor for Star Wars Newsnet. I am also part of the Movie News Network podcast, talking all things movies, TV, and pop culture. I collect comic books, Star Wars toys, and things I really should not be buying. <laughs> and I'm Sugu, your co-host. I work in IT and education, and I'm also passionate about writing and story. You can find some of my travel writings on allaboutjapan.com, where I've written various articles about my life and perspectives in Japan. I collect mostly Transformers, but I've recently started collecting Marvel Legends figures and die-cast cars, such as Hot Wheels. Since living in Japan, I've developed an interest in tabletop gaming, so I also have a wide collection of board games. So today we're going to talk about the recent movie Shang-Chi and the Legend of Ten Rings that came out and the, I don't know, dysfunctional family of Marvel <laughs> Legends figures that came out to accompany it. Uh, so I've, for myself, I bought Death Dealer. Well, no, sorry, I didn't buy. Tamlin bought it as a gift. And then after that, I bought Sha Ling and Wenwu, and then I'm kind of wondering about the Marvel Legends Shang-Chi. And then you got, you picked up Katie for me, which thank you so yeah, much. For sure, Katie, who is uh, exclusive to Target here in the States. Don't not have available. Target out here. Yeah, not available in Japan. And uh, she's a great figure, and definitely after seeing the movie, which we're going to talk about, uh, must have. Yeah, so Overall, I will say, overall, I liked uh, Shang-Chi. I think the problems that I have with it are endemic to being a Marvel movie and a Disney movie. Like, it, they're they're part of that bigger thing, right? But, yeah, overall, I liked it. I thought it was funny. There are lots of parts that I was just laughing at. Yeah, it was, it was great fun. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I loved it. Uh, it's a seriously funny movie. It's uh, it's probably one in my top ten on the Marvel MCU movies. Yeah, absolutely. Of the MCU, yeah, definitely a top ten. Um, I was uh, I was expecting a good time. I had a great time. I absolutely loved the way that um, it sort of. I sort of going into it expected it to be sort of. I thought it was going to be a little bit of Jackie Chan sort of Hong Kong sort of 80s movie in which there were a little bit of that a little bit of that um but really what it was is this big sort of love letter to sort of sort of uh sort of chinese martial arts slash mythology movies like crouching tiger hidden dragon or hero or house of flying daggers um movies like that 
that I thought was really fascinating. I thought the structure was really interesting. It sort of crept up on you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the and the acting was just really superb all the way around. In particular, uh, Tony Long or Leong, I'm not 100% on the pronunciation, who is a, like Michelle Yeoh, who is also in this movie, a longtime Hong Kong actor uh, who's amazing uh, as Shang-Chi's father. I loved it. Yeah, uh, uh, the character of Wen Wu, I was really surprised how much um, weight he was able to put into the character. Uh, I thought I thought going into it, it would be like a caricature type villain, but there's actually some weight there. I'm not going to say that it's the greatest of all weights. A love story, dead wife. I don't really like that angle, but Tony Lung did add quite a lot of uh, uh, weight and gravitas to the role, which I thought was really good. Oh, huge amount. He really became the center of the movie in his relationship with his wife, Shang-Chi's mother, was really interesting and and fantastic did a lot to humanize him and then i thought the flashbacks which as the movie started i was sort of nervous about the the use of the flashbacks and that maybe that they were sort of diverting from the story they actually became crucial uh to the story and to understanding the sort of bigger tapestry uh with with all the characters in in ways that i thought were, were really interesting really un like what we've seen in the MCU, certainly, uh, so far. I thought Fala Chen, who played uh, his mother, Shang-Chi's mother, was outstanding in the sort of brief role she had. That's a Marvel legend I want to see made as well. Yeah, she was Especially with the hat and mask. Yeah, she's sort of the... I loved all that, and she's sort of like the sentry. She's sort of this guardian of uh, Tao Lo... Uh, which is uh, the sort of magical, mystical realm becomes very important in the movie uh, as the movie unfolds. And um, it's great sort of uh, contrast between her and the sort of very fluid, very poetic, very sort of um, style of, of fighting. And, and we talked about this a little bit last week on on one of our episodes and the sort of contrast and sort of fighting and uh, the fighting styles, different ways of sort of where, you know, Wenwu, all about brute force, all about power. He's using the, the Ten Rings just to brutally achieve that he's going to walk in there and she's basically just redirecting him like she's, you know, uh, brushing him away uh, with her power. And they find this weird, very, very poetic, very balletic. Uh, action scenes they weren't even really action scenes in a way they were just sort of these sort of almost a dance number at one yeah, point it very much became dance and i saw what you mean about crouching tiger hidden dragon in that first fight scene yeah yeah a lot of parallels with that yeah and uh there was a lot of jackie chan uh with uh with shang chi himself in some of the scenes certainly the bus scene which i, I think the scene on the bus ranks among the best action scenes in the mcu it's mm-hmm. outstanding start to finish. Uh, great action, great comedy. He absolutely wrecks house on these guys. Uh, and then uh, the sort of uh, the in uh, Macau in the uh, sort of 
they're running around on the scaffolding and stuff. I thought it was great. I thought the fights were great. I thought the comedy is really great. Aquafina is outstanding as Katie, uh, sort of the comic relief. Um, her and uh, Shang-Chi, Simu Liu are amazing together. I thought all of that worked. I thought, and he is fantastic, by the way. He's like, I didn't know anything about him coming into the movie. Uh, really good actor. Very funny. Total action star. Everybody's really good in this movie. I thought that was great. And I just, the more it went on, the more I fell in love with it. And then the story broadens out into this great sort of, you know, sort of becomes Lord of the Rings at the end almost. Um, I, I loved all that. For myself, I really enjoyed the the movie going into it. What I find kind of amusing for me is that I read the Shang-Chi comic books recently. I kind of got up to date on the lore and, and whatnot. But then when the when the movie started, I kind of forgot about it. You know, mm. I just kind of accepted that Shang-Chi was there in the city. That's all. And I kind of forgot why he would be there in the first place. And then when the movie kind of explained, yeah, they he was trained as a killer. I'm like, oh, yeah, right. That was in the comics. Totally forgot that that's actually his origin story. So it was it was kind of nice to to go into the movie almost completely blank, uh, not knowing pretty much anything about it. And especially my previous knowledge of the lore, not really um, influencing my viewing of it, just kind of as it happened i was making those connections so it was kind of like seeing it fresh even though i knew what was like i had known what was coming but retroactively it's kind of cool yeah shang chi this movie is probably the one that dispenses the most with its comic book history Uh, enough of it is present that it's familiar but the comic book past of shang chi uh is very problematic (laughs) and uh the sort of has been mostly uh, papered over in the comics um, and is of no real value, honestly. And Shang-Chi has never been a character in Marvel Comics on the level of, you know, Spider-Man or Captain America. He's never been a major, major character until just recently. The comics have certainly sort of pushed him back out into the spotlight. But they kept enough of it, just the bones of his story. His dad is this criminal. Uh, they folded it into the Mandarin, who is another character from the comics, who has been established in the MCU in, in ways that are fun and for some people controversial that comes back here in a very, you know, I thought interesting way um, that they did not have to do. And some, some people are probably not going to like that part of it, but... Shang-Chi has, in the comics, has a number of brothers and sisters, half-brothers and sisters, that here just sort of condensed into Shaoling, who is just original to the movie. And her first movie. The actors. Is her first movie? Cool. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. And she was great, by the way. She 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 had real presence. She was great. Sort of the fight scenes were great. So I yeah I was I think most people one they don't know the vast majority even comic book fans they don't know the Shang Chi history it's not very prevalent and what they do know of it is just best forgotten mm-hmm. uh, and so this is pretty much a blank slate uh, to the point where there's just they <laughs> there's a lot of uh, a lot of stuff going on at the end of the movie that sort of definitely tracks Shang Chi away from his comic book origins for sure. But I, I thought it was great. 
it was a great movie. I cannot wait to see more. Obviously, there's going to be sequels and stuff, but I can't wait to see where else he shows up in the MCU. Yeah, I mean, uh, I sent you a message after after I got out of the theater. Overall, I liked it. It was great, but the you know the third act had its issues. I will say I'm I'm very interested in some of the other characters, not just Shang Chi, which I think were not. I think they were fine in terms of that movie and how they and how they were developed. But I want to see more, and I think there's some extra bit of extra bit of stuff in the movie that they could have cut to further that development, especially in character. Like which stuff? Well, it was really good to see like the CGI. It was really impressive to see the the Great Protector and the Dweller of the Darkness. Those were cool to see, but it's it's so not connected to the theme of the story it's so not connected to the 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 point of the plot that we've seen up to that point it's just a a big cgi battle and i would have really liked to continue that theme of family of you know like their dysfunctional family but also picking up those roots and deepening that part of it and I think Sha Ling would definitely have been served with more development time that could have been extracted from there. Um, but here's I, the thing. It's a Marvel movie, so the third act has to be like that. I don't think it was necessary for this particular movie to go the route that it did um, in terms of the scale, I should say, uh, in, the, in the climax, which was titanic and not at all what I was expecting. They really figuratively and literally opened up some doors in the in the final act that that was very sort of surprising. The movie got very big. For me, one of the gripes was the actual CGI itself, and at the end of the movie, in places, was not great. Uh, there was uh, in, in, with in particular with sort of the, the many a lot of sort of CGI animals and creatures and things like that yeah. that I thought were great. There was some spots that were clearly sort of reshoots inserts that they put in that were filmed against green screen that were not great mm-hmm. uh during that final sequence that that's whatever that's a product of covid um oh by the just... way spoiler spoiler warning <laughs> yeah folks spoilers um but so i thought the dweller in darkness was really interesting uh choice uh for a villain uh is not has no connection to Shang-Chi in the comics. Does have connections to other characters in the comics. Might be worth talking about. Uh, the Great Protector, I think, is uh, meant to sort of be a stand-in for uh, for uh, Fin Fan Foom, who is the MacLuhan dragon, the big green dragon, if people are familiar with him, mm-hmm. from the comic books. Apparently uh, a really good Marvel Legends figure from back in the day. It is one of the all-time great uh, Marvel Legends figures by Toy Biz. I think most people consider it to be. Also now today, this, I forget what year it came out, is early, so early on in that run. One of the rarest and most expensive figures. Well, it's a Build-A-Figure, uh, isn't it? Including it's a Build-A-Figure, yeah. It's She-Hulk? I believe it's She-Hulk. I think that's actually, now that you mention it, I think that was an All-Hulk or close to All-Hulk wave Okay. that he came in, that the Build-A-Figure, and it is one of the most expensive figures on the secondary market i would say now given the fact that he did not make an appearance in shang chi properly and i don't think will 
unlikely to see him a new version in Marvel Legends. I think the ship for him is sort of sailed. There is a Target exclusive Marvel Legends Great Protector. I saw. I didn't know that came out. He's not really on the level of. It's not a great toy. He's mm-hmm. sort of. Um, he's certainly not in scale with anything. The Great Protector in the movie is this tremendous creature. He's not to scale with really anything. And I think he's meant. The Great Protector clearly is meant to sort of fill that role in the movie. But they have. The Ten Rings have been completely reimagined in the movie. In the comic books, they're literal rings where on your fingers here in the movie in the MCU they're bracelets and they're more sort of these sort of Chinese I forget the proper term but they're uh, sort of fighting bracelets that pe- that people will, can wear on their arms that's kind of the idea but most importantly the origin of the Ten Rings has been obviously completely reimagined so for folks who hung around as they should have uh, for the post credit scenes, got, I think, probably one of the best post credit scenes in the entire MCU. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. You're going to uh, have to explain that to me, because that was a spot that I was really disappointed in. I felt that uh, that was just uh, unnecessary. So please explain why it's one of the best ones. Uh, in terms of structure, it's maybe the case example of the MCU uh, post credit scene. It does does everything that the best ones do so it 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 has the cameo it actually has a couple cameos uh it has the tease and then it has the promise and what do i mean by that it's the the so the cameos features again major spoilers if you haven't seen it and you're listening to this i got questions but um so we have uh, Bruce Banner and Captain Marvel, Carol Danvers, show up uh, to have a conversation with Wong uh, and Shang-Chi and Katie about the origin of the Ten Rings. Um, and they're not just there to wave at the camera or wave at the audience. They both are there to supply very important information. Bruce Banner, is whose arm is still uh, injured, uh, but he's back game. to human form. He's back to human form. Question marks. Question marks. Um, is there to tell us that they have no earthly origin that he understands? Wong is there to tell us that they have no mystical origin, at least that he understands. And Carol is there to tell us that they have no cosmic origin, at least that she understands. And we then you know we think she should know, would know. And then Carol has to bounce, as Carol always does. She's got a boost. And she gets out of there, and then we're left, though, with a great tease, which is that not only are the rings of mysterious origin, they have a homing beacon, which is transmitting. So, and then the promise is, is that they're transmitting to who and where. Um, we're going to find out. It's going to be going to be big. It's not going to be the Mac Lewins from the comic books, I'm here to tell you. <laughs> so, that would, not, that would not be entertaining. So, you're saying that the beacon... Is not going to go to like Fin Fan Foom? No. Yeah. No. That's no fun. Yeah. So for me, that's one of the reasons why that scene was so disappointing is that one, okay, so we have a beacon and they just, they literally asked the question, so where is it going? And then, nope, I got to bounce. Same thing, you know, she said uh, it's not of cosmic origin, but by, like a- every character was there just to introduce the problem and then leave. 
and I found that kind of disappointing and not cliffhanger. Well, this is the scene is is great from my from my perspective because it's in, that's one that's in keeping with Carol's character. You get a lot of character work in this scene. It's very short, and, and, and that's this, what. Please tell this me because I'm not. I don't. See yeah, it. this is this is in keeping with Carol's character to not hang around for anything for very long. This is going to become a major plot point in Captain Marvel 2, The Marvels is what it's called, um, when she confronts, or is confronted, I should say, by Monica Rambeau over the fact that Carol wasn't around for the death of her mother. And, you know, Carol's not somebody who does, uh, who, who's present, let's put it that way. That was interesting. We get, you know, we, we get so plot stuff, we get character stuff, we get teases, then we, we end on this great moment of them going back to the karaoke bar, which I thought was hysterical. The, the, the theater was screaming uh, when Wong would join them. So I, I thought it was great. I, I thought it was perfect because it, it's, it's, it, it integrates Shang-Chi very quickly into the Avengers. Uh, it sets up this mystery, which may or may not be big, and has some interesting sort of intriguing possibilities in terms of how it could connect. There's several major theories that I have that um, of where the, the rings could come from uh, that vary depending on what they want to do with that. Um, one, one possible origin of the rings is Kang the Conqueror. Uh, the, the rings are thousands of years old, but they're also technology beyond anything that they would know. One, one reason that Carol or anyone else may not recognize them is because they're actually from the future. Um, they're 31st century technology that have been left in the past by meddling by Kang the Conqueror. That's a theory, but everything doesn't have to be connected to Kang, so that's just one possibility. Uh, another major one, I won't go too far down the rabbit hole, but another major one would be that they're connected to the quantum realm, and that uh, which we've seen now a few times in the MCU, and uh, the the that's where they're transmitting to, and they would be connected to a character like let's say Annihilus uh, from Fantastic Four. So we'll see, but I think it's super intriguing. I thought it was great. I think it's great. It's great to sort of. It was great to see Carol. It's great to see uh, Bruce Banner, and um, it was great to sort of integrate him into the Avengers. And I think the next time we see see them, they'll be part of the crew. Well, I guess that's part of it, right? Like he's not part of the Avengers because Wong just said, stay tuned. Uh, your life is going to change now in ways that you can't imagine. Like it doesn't necessarily have to be the Avengers. It's just that it's going to change. Oh, it'll change. And he'll totally be part of the Avengers the, ne the next time we get an Avengers movie for sure. But I know I thought it was great. I thought I thought it was it was it did a lot of things. It was it was, it was exciting it's a great sort of classic MCU mystery and sort of speculation machine, which yeah. everybody loves. I was going to say, it seems that that's the, the draw of it, right? Is that it opens up a bunch of speculation. Yeah, it's fun because it, it's Shang-Chi, the great, as I mentioned before, Shang-Chi is um, it really kind of a blank slate, the movie uh, coming from the comics. And so they've they've re sort of interpreted, certainly reimagined big chunks of it, and they're doing that with the rings themselves, which is cool because it opens up a lot of different possibilities. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, another possibility is the Eternals. This is a movie which is going to come out here, I think, in November, 
Um, they could also be a possible origin for these the rings for the technology. I'm going to say no on that one because that'd be a very short, uh, very brief mystery. Probably not very fun, but who knows? But yeah, no, I I thought it was great, and then um, I also thought then the very final scene. Uh, at the very end of the credits was also great for the same reason. That one I agree with you. I thought that was great. But I also thought that should have been the second one. They're the, the first after credit scene. Because again, to me, the the heart of the movie is on that family as a whole. Yeah, we talked about this when we were talking about Loki and the end of Loki. And you were sort of dissatisfied with sort of the <laughs> the final episode, the climax being them sort of talking, you know, sort of sitting around and talking. Yeah, as, an, as a narrative. Like, I was just like, oh, what the... And you have... Um, what you have in the MCU now is that all of these pieces, all these movies and TV shows are now performing on a couple different levels. And so they're functioning, and this isn't always successful, and it plays differently to different audiences. You, they're functioning on a level just inherently self-contained story. This is a piece of entertainment. This is a movie. This is an episode of television. And then they're also performing within the context of the entire MCU and then also local to the piece that it's part of. So you have now in the MCU, as we move into we're post-Endgame, the MCU is starting to branch in sort of bigger ways narratively than it had before. And so there's a couple different tracks developing. It's not immediately clear which track Shang-Chi is on. Mm-hmm. Um, is he on the cosmic Kang the Conqueror track? Or is he on the sort of ground level Contessa uh, track that we've seen? He's sort of straddling the line, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I think we're going to get clarity on that here going into next year, Doctor Strange, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um the Dweller in Darkness is a key uh, villain of Doctor Strange. The mystical, magical aspect of Shang-Chi, the movie, is probably a signal that he's going to be more closely aligned to that. Mm-hmm. But we'll see. So depending on you know where you're at with the movie, and then also the, the entire context of the movie is not immediately clear, even until after you've seen other movies or other shows and uh, for some people that's not that's not satisfying because certain things don't take on dimension or shape until but it, like in, in with the MCU I think it's interesting certainly as the what they're doing in terms of structure wise that like some of these are probably you know they can be dissatisfying even for people who get super wrapped up in the specu- speculation because if you get invested in like in a certain line of thought <laughs> <laughs> and right. like let's say let's say Mephisto in uh, WandaVision and it doesn't pay <laughs> right. off like you get upset you get frustrated you're like I'm never going to watch these again but um, that might be a yeah. good uh, future episode too it's uh, speculation oh dude it's like or fan speculation there's a lot to talk about because it's like you know I think one of the you know the one of the things that is a lot of fun with the MCU is sort of the speculation and theories and things like that. But like, there's only so far you can go like, you know, cause you do end up, you're going to be just, you're just going to disappoint yourself because most of the time you're wrong. And, um, I, you know, for me, it's more fun when they do something that you didn't really anticipate at all. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's fun to guess and it's fun to be right. I was, I've been right about a couple things, Kang. Um, but 
so that part of it's rewarding, sort of the Easter egg hunt and the detective work. You know, you get your little get your little nerd badge. You know, you're like, ah, I know, I know stuff. But it's like that's not that shouldn't be like the only. Re- Hopefully, you're watching the movies because you like them and you want to be entertained. So. Well, yeah. and, and that's the thing, right? Like, I was really glad that for me, I was able to kind of forget everything I knew about Shang-Chi and just watch the movie on its own merit and mm. not really connect it with, or I should say, not really get distracted by prior knowledge of the lore and just able to kind of, okay, take it for what it is. Kind of like, you know, when I first saw the very first Iron Man. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't on that Easter egg hunt. I was just watching the movie as it was. Right. And I could kind of like, I wasn't looking for lore. I was just trying to look at, or I was just trying to watch the movie on its own merit. And then the same thing, basically phase one, right? Where Mm -hmm. all the characters were just being introduced. And for me, it was not worrying so much about how close or not it it stuck to the comics, but what is this representation of the character? And does that work in terms of its context, right? Like uh, one thing that I thought uh, with Captain America, that they should have really emphasized the, the man at a time angle instead mm-hmm. of necessarily political thriller drama. But, you know, focus in, hone in on that side of it. And Thor, I really liked the first, uh, the first Thor. And they really did that Shakespearean, you know, um, what's his name? The director, obviously Shakespearean influence. Kenneth Branagh. Kenneth Branagh. Yeah. So I really like this idea that the MCU had these movies that span different genres, you know, Thor being more Shakespearean uh, because wasn't. Wasn't Thor the first movie based off of King Lear, I think? There's aspects of Lear in there, yeah. Yeah. So I kind of like that idea. And, you know, they didn't have to connect to the comic books. I was perfectly fine kind of having them as their separate entity. We're going to take a quick break to let you know about some exciting developments on the podcast. First of all, thank you for listening. We hope you're enjoying it. Uh, If you like our content and you want more of it, you can subscribe to our channel and get additional conversations between Sugu and I. So stick around after the episode for a quick sample of what you could get. If you want to give us any feedback, feel free to let us know your thoughts and opinions at shelfwarmers at gmail.com or on Twitter at shelfwarmers. Thanks for listening. And now back to the show. Same thing with Shang-Chi. And I think Marvel gets into problems when they have to connect it to this bigger picture instead of like focusing on it being its own thing it's now they have to connect it and that's what i mean about the act three like the act three i i heard that with shang chi act three was already written by the executives and so the director could only work with really act one and act two and to Mm. me it really does feel like two different movies um I don't know about that. I I think that there are probably my understanding of MCU sort of the way that it works is that I'll give you an example. Um, Infinity War. Um, everybody's like, you know, all this. We've talked about this a little bit, but everybody's like, oh, this is all planned out and everything like that. Um, the only edict for Infinity War and what became Endgame. This was originally one movie. Um, was that 
the Thanos was the villain and that they were writing out Cap and Iron Man. That was it. And then the rest was up to the writers. Yeah, and I thought that worked out well. Yeah. And then you know how how you get there, you know. I had heard somewhere that um there was executive oversight on Act Three in uh Shang Chi. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Great. Uh, show me. I'm, I'm happy to be wrong on that one. But yeah, I had heard that there was executive oversight for Act 3 because they needed to show or introduce certain characters to kind of move it into the MCU. Um, I think that there are there are elements of the Act 3 that are playing into the MCU proper. The Dweller in Darkness is um, not a character that was necessary for Act 3 or the MCU. The Dweller in Darkness, for folks who are maybe kind of wondering uh, who that is, he's, he's, he's sort of just, he's a mystical cosmic being from another realm. He does have, as in the movie, he does have, and in the comics, he has connections to uh, a figure that fans, if you're watching What If also, uh, you you may have seen a tentacle monster in a couple What If episodes. Oh. Who may or may not be a character called Shuma Garath, who you may or may not see in Doctor Strange 2. I don't know. But the there, there there's tangential connections that I think are probably intentional, you know, like that. But how that plays out, really, I you know, and how if that was like, you guys got to put Dweller in Darkness in Act 3 because of X, Y, or Z, I don't know about that, but... I would find that I, I would find that sort of odd. Um, but um, there's probably just there's probably a, a tendency in the MCU for the third act to, to blow up and to get big and do this thing where fa- the first couple phases of the MCU, you know, where the, the individual movies were they were all big action movies, obviously, but they weren't necessarily the climaxes weren't necessarily on the scale that this was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now I think going back now a couple movies, I think the tendency in the MCU has been to have these huge, big, climactic battles in almost every movie. And I can see where people are kind of over that, and that's perfectly fine. I thought in this case, I thought the way it dovetailed with a lot of the character work uh, for the individual stories was really interesting. But um, and And then on the other level... In, in the possible ways that it does connect to the MCU, I thought that was interesting too mm-hmm. because I think that um, the presence of Wong is not arbitrary and the all the talk about magic and mysticism is not arbitrary. And, you know, for folks, like I said, who maybe, maybe made a mental connection between the Dweller in Darkness and this tentacle guy in What If, not arbitrary. So that part of it is fun because you're the the MCU in that way is working, you know, is building on a level that's that that other entertainment and and film anyway. And now okay. TV is not doing. So along those lines, yeah. What would be the importance of abomination in Shang-Chi? So it has two functions. One one is it's just a it's just a fun cameo, right? It's like, oh, it's like fucking random. It's like Abomination, who hasn't been in any, you know, hasn't been in a movie since uh, the 2008, wasn't it? The Hulk movie. Um, Incredible Hulk. 
the other thing is, what is he doing there? And yeah, Incredible Hulk. And then where, where, what's he doing hanging out with Wong? And where was Wong taking him back to? Mm-hmm. Question mark. It's also not arbitrary that that Abomination appears for in the same movie that the Hulk does, Bruce Banner, and that you should expect to see Abomination again next year in something. Yeah, the and, rumor that I heard is that Abomination was introduced in this movie to make it easier to have Abomination in She-Hulk. That could be. That could be, yeah. Um, the I think uh, She-Hulk is going to be a really interesting show for a lot of reasons. Uh, we talked a little bit ago about um, why, you know, Bruce Banner's back to being human. That's interesting. So mm-hmm. I'm curious about that, and I think we'll get an answer to that. So yeah, Abomination plays on a couple different levels too. It's kind of interesting. He was just kind of fun. The scene is just fun, but it has it has another function as well um, that won't necessarily become apparent till the next time we see him. I don't think. So um, I'm fairly sure too that there was a. In fact, I mentioned this on the Movie News Network podcast that I do back when we were doing reviews of Falcon and Winter Soldier. I'm fairly sure when. Um, when uh, Bucky and Sam and Zemo go to Madripoor, that as they're walking through Old Town, there is a poster up for Shaoling's fighting ring. There's a poster of Shaoling up there with this this thing. I'm pretty sure that's who it was. I mentioned it at the time. And uh, I haven't heard anybody else say that, so I could be completely wrong, but that, that was that sort of was like, uh, I don't know. So just to, just to confirm, because I, I thought this, but I wasn't sure. Um, Falcon and the Winter Soldier went to Macau, right? Madripoor is in Macau. No, uh, Madripoor is separate. It's a fictional country separate from Macau. Oh, okay. I thought it was a yeah. city in Macau. Nope. So then that means that there is no power broker in uh, Macau, basically. Mm, that I don't know. That's a good question. I mean, what is the influence of the power broker outside of Madripoor? Don't know. Okay, so but you were saying a long time ago that Madripoor is also the home of the X Men. No, not the home of the X Men. It is the um, for it's a major locale associated with X Men, in particular Wolverine, uh, in the comic books, and it is for X Men fans. Uh, that it is the first uh, X Men anything that we've gotten in the MCU. Okay, which was really interesting. Yeah. But I said it, it's uh, I probably this most famous uh, use of it was in uh, 1987. I think it was 87. Uh, was in the first story arc in the Wolverine ongoing, and and Wolverine spent a lot of time there. Dang, I was kind of hoping that Madripoor, like I forgot it was Madripoor. I thought it was Macau as well. So I was hoping that there was some sort of connection between Falcon, Falcon, and Winter Soldier and Shang Chi, that they both went there. That would have been cool, actually. I'm actually, now that you say that, like, that might have been a missed opportunity. Like, you know, why not? Why do Macau? Just, why didn't you just do Madripoor? God damn it. Yeah, or put Madripoor <laughs> in Macau, right? Like, Falcon and Winter Soldier changes that to Macau. Because, uh, yeah, when I, when we saw, when I saw that in theaters, that they were in Macau, a lot of the, the styling, the, like the building, the architecture styling and all that, it reminded me of Madripoor. I'm like, oh, okay. They're in the same place that Falcon and Winter Soldier went to. Well, I thought that that was interesting. But no. And I this, uh, yeah, 
I agree. No, it would have been more interesting. This, to your point earlier about sort of editorial oversight by the MCU, by Marvel, this is an example of where that doesn't happen. Uh, this Mad Reporter yeah. slash Macau would have been an obvious place for them to make a very easy suggestion to sort of integrate things more, and that didn't happen. And in subtle ways, so, too, because mm-hmm. you could have, you could integrate Sha Ling with her with her empire that she built vis-a-vis the fighting club and the power broker like that could be its own little mini story of those two in the same absolutely area. absolutely and and shaoling and the ten rings are clearly on the uh contessa track as I'm, as i'm calling it in the mcu where the ten rings is this major international criminal organization which almost certainly will run into the power broker and also, I think, I could be wrong about this, but I think is probably going to end up serving the role of the Hand in the MCU. Uh, the Hand, the okay. famous uh, ninja assassin organization from the comics, was what did exist in the Netflix MCU shows, uh, Daredevil, yeah. uh, all those. Um, they could very well show up in the MCU. You think this is finally their... Um they're kind of seed to link the Netflix shows into the MCU. It's one of them. I think fans of the Netflix shows who may be bummed out about not being included in the MCU are going to be really happy here by the end of the year. We'll have to mm-hmm. see how that shakes out, but I think it's one way yeah. for them to kind of do it. And I'm super curious about that because like, I, I, I don't know if the, the, the Netflix sort of grandfathering in the Netflix stuff. I don't know if that's going to be wholesale. I have a, I have a feeling it won't be. Mm-hmm. I can't remember if we were talking on the pod before or offline about Iron Fist. Uh, offline. Okay. Well, that's a whole thing. But like the, I, it's safe to say I don't think we will be seeing that version of Iron Fist again in the MCU. You mm-hmm. should probably expect to see other Netflix people like, I don't know, Daredevil maybe or Kingpin. But... Um, yeah, Daredevil, think... Kingpin, those would be cool to see. Um, mm-hmm. I would even say um, Jessica Jones and Kilgrave. That would be really interesting to see in the MCU. I feel like Jessica Jones will definitely show up, and I think Luke Cage also. Iron Fist, I just I don't think anybody has any appreciation for any of that, with the exception of Colleen Wing. Uh, I would love to see her, the Daughters of the Dragon, come back in. And I think if uh, the Ten Rings is a great opportunity to sort of revise some of that for the MCU. So, and I frankly don't think they're going to do Iron Fist because we have Shang-Chi. So what do you need that dude for? Um, Yeah, right. So, yeah, I just don't think that's going to happen. We will see the other ones, though. So one of the things that I'm kind of hearing is that a large part of the entertainment value of the MCU is in the speculation. It's part of it, sure. Uh-huh. Yeah, and I I don't know. I, I think we talked about this offline about the value in not knowing. Like, I really liked going into Shang-Chi or Shang-Chi having forgotten most of that lore and just kind of enjoying what was on what was in front of me what was there mm-hmm. uh instead of trying to find all the clues and then see how it connects to the bigger picture i think i 
kind of liked seeing the the bigger picture just kind of open up on its own to me. Yeah, I think there are different ways that people approach this. There are definitely people who are on scavenger hunts in each one of these, and that's part of their fun. I'm not. I'm more of a passive person. I'm I'm the guy who, in I think it was episode five of Loki, when Alioth showed up, I was like, Alioth? I was like, I know who that is. You know, like, then I'm rewarded for my geekdom for 40 years. But I wasn't like, you know, I wasn't <laughs> sort of, I'm never on a scavenger hunt or anything like that. And so, but I, I love the, I love sort of wondering about the future and the the MCU is engineered to make you speculate and to make you, uh, to create intrigue and tension and curiosity about what's coming next. It's just an inherent mm-hmm. part of the DNA. It, it It's now become part of it where you can't untangle any of this from the other stuff. It's a it's a momentary kind of fun it, it, that's very different from, say, something like Star Wars. I've had these conversations a lot recently where um, people are like, well, Star Wars needs to be more like the MCU. Absolutely does not. Yeah, um, no, that wouldn't work. They're, they're, they're two completely different things. The The rewarding thing about Star Wars is that the, you can talk about it, the story and the themes and the characters forever because they're timeless. Uh, the MCU is a much more momentary, immediate thing where you're you're caught up in the moment, you're caught up in looking forward just a little bit. Um, these movies, I'll be very interested to see like in the future, if we get to a point post-MCU, if that ever happens, where where it's sort of the, the do these stories, do these movies, do the, does the whole thing... Does it have the same appreciation and the same interest to viewers now that they've seen it, right? Because there's nothing, you know, there's no, you know, do they have deeper themes and things like that that go beyond it? Some of them do for sure. Um, but does does it in the same way that Star Wars does? No, I don't think it does. Um, I think it just works a completely different way. Uh, it's it's a lot of fun. It's a lot. There's a lot of, you know, I love it. I love the MCU. I love what they're doing. Um, and then the stories and the characters, um, but Star Wars wouldn't be served by trying to make everything, you know, try to function on this sort of MCU level that, that just, it wouldn't work. Star, it's just completely different thing. And and along those lines, you do have all the copycats, right? Like you remember the universal monster connected universe or whatever that was that flopped almost right away. Yeah. I mean, everyone's trying to duplicate Marvel's formula. The problem is Marvel looks like it's just a bunch, like they're having fun with it. And everyone else is trying to do it really seriously. That's the thing. It's people are like, well, how do they do it? One one is, is that the MCU has been completely organic and they have turned over one success into another. And it's also um, being run by people who genuinely love this this stuff. They love the their fans, mm-hmm. and not only that, not only are they fans, but they actually care about giving you the best possible uh, movie or TV show now that they can. They really do. People are yeah. like, "Oh, whatever. It's just about the money." No, it's not. It's money. Obviously, is pretty cool, but <laughs> it's it, they. You know. They wanted. They want to tell the best stories they can, in the best ways that they can, with the best talent they can, and you're seeing that again and again and again. And I think that's why the MCU 
is as successful it is and people lay most of it or all of it at Kevin Feige's feet and certainly um, but I think it's it, that whole organization at Marvel Studios that it's it's just people who truly deeply care and they don't and when they make mistakes they learn from them you know and there's no there's not there there is I think editorial sort of like we, we want to do this you know what I mean like sort of a story level mm-hmm. um, I don't think there's editorial interference in terms of making the movie the way that there's been with the Warner Brothers the DC movies certainly yeah there's been yeah. none none of that shit like that I'm aware of but I think we'd probably hear about it but they the, yeah they it's just it's a singular thing a lot of people try to copycat it of course because it makes all the money but you can't you can't plan to do what they're doing and so in the same way that star wars was very organic and just kind of unfolded as he went along and it grew and it it's mcu is the same way you know and dc is the biggest example of struggling to do that which is dumb because dc has has all the advantages that marvel didn't when marvel started you know dc had all of its characters under one roof had three of the best comic book characters in the world and they somehow screwed that up mostly dc especially their dceu i think they call it yeah yeah it's so so much feels like uh the johnny come lately and they're always trying to catch up to marvel mm-hmm. but you know I'll, I'll put it to you this way uh over here my one of my previous uh jobs they said that they wanted to be the the best school in the world. Mm-hmm. That's a one one. That's a really tall order, uh, because based on what metric. Two, you're co- you're competing against like internationally well known schools, Harvard, Oxford. Like you're you're on another plane if you're trying to compete against if you're trying to be the best school. Mm-hmm. But the problem that I that I pointed out is if you're always so you want to be the best school okay fine but you're only looking at what other schools are doing and then copying that you can never be the best if you're always following that means somebody always has to be better than you you can't lead if you're in second place yes there's always and somebody that's better how I feel about the the DCEU too yeah there's always going to be someone better than you and that's actually probably a good thing to keep in mind if you want to just get some sleep at night just accept it and move on (laughs) but you know what i mean you know because we all want to be best at what we do and everything we do of course we do with yourself right like you and i came out of uh you know university we came up through university with a lot of people who wanted who wanted to be writers and not just that, they wanted to be the the best writers. They wanted to be the greatest writers of all time. And uh, sure, why not? It's a noble goal. Not realistic, but no, noble. Sh- not realistic, you know. And I think where a lot of people get hung up in, in anything, and certainly with the writing, is that, um, you know, you, you're competing with people you can't compete with. And you just have to just accept that there's... Because oh, you, you're always going to be like read something and you're always gonna be like god damn it how did they do that how are you know they're always going to be better than you they're always going to be uh there's always going to be someone more talented uh more athletic more attractive whatever just move on 
in the case in the case of um movies and things like that with DC they had all these advantages they haven't been able to take advantage of it um because it, it was inorganic it was uh and it was reactionary that was the biggest thing yep uh Marvel Studios was uh as they say uh the mother you know necessity is the the mother of all invention um Marvel Studios had to do what they did and then it worked because they had they had all these pieces that worked not only do you have does the core with Kevin Feige not only are they fans and they care about the material and they care about making the best movies they can they got they struck lightning several times you know early on Robert Downey Jr. Tom Hiddleston and they kept doing it and they kept doing it and they're doing it now every one of these movies Simu Liu you just keep you just keep hitting hitting lightning and that's because the people that are doing it know what they're doing they know what they're doing and Mm -hmm. that's super rare and it's super rare to do it on this scale for this long and it's actually never been done it's never been done right which is why everyone's trying to copy them yeah but that's also what makes it what basically what makes it special right like you can't copy this and it is special and people do love these shows and characters and especially this last year or so with these shows now we've gotten to Disney Plus. Um, the, the the Disney the streaming shows have allowed them to take deeper dives into the characters and, and you know mm-hmm. it, it's been a lot of examinations of very important things like grief and trauma and PTSD and things like that. And it's imperfect and it's not always as maybe thorough as you'd like or you know, or, or maybe how you do it, but it's been very, you know, it's been very, it's been great to see them do it, and people have reacted to it very positively. People really love uh, the shows and the characters, and and what they've been very moved and touched by it. And then you have all the representation, which has been very positive, uh, very a lot of you know forward sort of um, direction in that way, which is good. And so, you know, and so it's very, they take a lot of risks and a lot of chances. And um, for the most part, they work, which is just crazy. Yeah, I mean, the risks that they're taking are are paying off. Almost always. Yeah. Um, It's hard to think of a, you know, one of these, one of these things will not work. One of these movies, one of these shows will not be successful. And that and it, it, it actually won't be that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, uh, it'll be a fairly, you know, it, it, it's, that's just the odds, but uh, the rest of it pretty much works. So, um, the risk is, is when you're building your little Jenga tower where everything's connected, that if one of these pieces that doesn't work is, uh, integral to the whole, that's a problem, but we're yeah. not, we, that, that, <laughs> that hasn't happened yet. Like an absolute point in time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, is there anything as we kind of wrap up? Is there anything else you kind of want to point out about Shang Chi or kind of what's happening? I don't think about the movie. I did. For folks who are curious, I did write a review of the movie at Movie News Net. If they want to check that out, I also wrote an article about possible theories on the origin of the Ten Rings. If they want to check that out. Um, yeah, go see it if you haven't seen it. Um, if you haven't seen it and you listen to all this, sorry. Um, but uh, no, it's well worth. Um, it's it's a great movie. One of my favorite MCU movies. Yeah. Uh, 
one of the best movies this year. And um, the toys are great. We didn't talk a ton about the toys, but um, all the Marvel Legends figures are really, really good. And then I know you think the figure arts is fantastic. Yeah. Uh, just real quickly, the face sculpts on the Marvel Legends are incredible. Yeah. And I might get the Marvel Legend Shang-Chi as well, uh, both mm. for the figure and then also that kind of come back, comes back to our whole completion. I showed you uh, earlier, I've got a torso and two arms for the, the wave. Yeah. And yeah. I kind of feel like completing it. But, you know, that, that goes into that whole completion versus meaningful. Completing that figure first off that figure is not meaningful to me i don't care about marvel's mr hyde yeah but here it is just a torso <laughs> and two arms and i'm staring at it going man i don't know what to do with this should i just complete the thing those i always end up with the random parts because i just i buy a figure here or there so i've got like just a bin full of random you know yeah. build figure parts yeah what do you do yeah, I mean, random build a figure parts is fine, but I got like half the half the character. So do I just suck it up and get the rest of them? Like the yeah. Captain America wings, I can kind of let go. My Captain America doesn't need wings. Fine. Especially since I'm thinking about designing a, a pack a backpack anyway. But you know, I got half of half of a figure. Do I complete it? I'm not sure, but in order to complete it, I got to get the Marvel Legends Shang-Chi, but I already have the SH Figure Shang-Chi, which is really good, man. Like that mm. is just miles different from the Marvel Legends figures. Yeah, I like, and it's 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 a bummer because like Mr. Hyde is the figure itself is cool, I should say, Mr. Hyde. But like as a character, like who cares? Like he's yeah. You know, it's crazy that they did him, and it's sort of crazy that they did him in context of this particular wave. It's like, you know, it's like, okay, I don't know if there would have been a more natural <laughs> sort of build a figure to have done, but they, you know, they could have maybe from the movie might have been an opportunity to do one of the sort of the, the lion guys, the creatures whose name yeah. I forget. Or uh, redo might... Fin, fin Fang Foom as a great protector. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think he's probably, that, he, that would have been great. I think he's probably too big for them to try to do in that format. Um, he is gigantic. Uh, is he? That, I've that not been, seen. Yeah. That would have been cool, though. They could maybe do it if they sold, like, his head as just its own figure. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, I got stuff to say about that, but beyond that, I think I'm okay. Yeah. Um, but if you're good, yeah, I guess we can kind of wrap up then. All right. That'll do it for today, folks. Thanks again for joining us. Once again, I'm Darby Harn, and you can find more information about me and my books at my website, darbyharn.com. I'm also on Twitter at Darby Harn. Sugu, how can they find out more about us in the podcast? You can follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can reach us at our email address, shelfwarmers at gmail.com. Send us feedback about the show, your thoughts, opinions, recommendations, and insights on our perspectives. We're always happy to hear from you, our audience, and we'd love to share your opinions on our next show. Again, that's shelfwarmers at gmail.com. And if email isn't your thing, we're also on Twitter. You can reach us at shelfwarmers. Give us a holler. We have new episodes every Friday. As always, remember to stay safe, 
wash your hands, practice social distancing, and get vaccinated when you can. Stick around to listen to a free clip of more content from us. Subscribe today and you can hear the rest of the following and more. Bye-bye.